This program is brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U at Stanford University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu. The landscape of wealth is changing. How do you ensure that your development efforts embrace both donor and staff diversity? In this panel from Craigslist Foundation, fundraising experts review strategies that can help you communicate with a broad audience and achieve inclusiveness in the fundraising process. From the Conversations Network's Social Innovation Channel. Hi, this is Elena Connor Snibby. And I'm Eric Nee. We are your hosts on Social Innovation Conversations. Welcome to the free series of podcasts of Craigslist Foundation's nonprofit boot camps. Designed to help people help people. To learn more about Craigslist Foundation or the nonprofit boot camp conferences, visit www.craigslistfoundation.org. This series is funded by the Community Technology Foundation of California, which helps underserved communities secure social justice, access, and equality through the application of information and communications technologies. Registered members of the Conversations Network receive a wide variety of benefits. For free membership or to help support our efforts through your donations, visit conversationsnetwork.org. And now, here's our presentation from the Craigslist Foundation. I'm very excited and honored to introduce this next co-presentation. The topic at hand is diversity in fundraising, something that is becoming increasingly important for two different reasons. One is that the donor base of people that are donating money to nonprofits is increasingly diverse. Basically, the distribution of wealth, which is potentially concentrating over time, but more importantly, the distribution of philanthropy, uh, which is really what we're here to talk about, has been diversifying over time. But also, and almost more importantly, and, and more to the point of some of the resources that are going to be handed out today, is that the actual development personnel themselves are increasingly diverse and are increasingly representing the communities that they serve. So that is really the topic at hand. I'm going to hand it over to Didi Wynn, who is the Communications Chair for AFP, the Association of Fundraising Professionals, which is actually one of our community partners for the fundraising track, uh, and Gerald Richards from NIFTI, the National Foundation for Teaching Entrepreneurship. Uh, and I should add that they have actually been a, a community partner of ours, not only here in San Francisco, but also in New York. So we're honored to have both of these expert presenters up here. Take it away. Hi, like Darian said, thank you very much. My name is Gerald Richards. I am the Director of Development for the National Foundation for Teaching Entrepreneurship, or we say NIFTI for short. I've been working in development for about 10 years, development and management, management for longer than 15 years. I've been, wow, I, to background, whole, I'm from a little town called New York City. I grew up in Harlem. I went to college in Connecticut. I moved to California. I've been in California about 10 years, maybe, between that with stints in Chicago and here and have worked for a number of different nonprofit organizations. Most recently, before NIFTI, I was with the United Negro College Fund. And before that, I was with another organization called the Cradle Foundation, which is a nonprofit adoption agency. We're going to talk a bit about just our idea is to talk about diversity in fundraising, not just with the people who do the fundraising, but also with the communities that we serve. Um, I'm going to give it over to Didi and let Didi tell you a little bit about herself, and then we'll get started. Okay. 
Uh, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Didi Nguyen, and I'm with the East Meets West Foundation. Uh, I'm also here representing the Association of Fundraising Professionals, Golden Gate Chapter, as their communications chair. Thank you again for attending our, our panel today. Uh, my background is I've basically been working in the nonprofit sector for um, dating myself here, something like 10, 15 years since I was in high school, um, since I decided that I wanted to do something beyond engineering, beyond medical school, beyond something that my parents wanted me to do. What I decided as I was developing my own construction of what I wanted to do professionally was that I wanted to become an expert in the nonprofit sector. I wanted to basically use the education, use my education, use my talents and skills in a way that would be productive for the um, public benefit community. And so I thought, what better way to use my graduate education and my college education than to be the kind of person that could translate, communicate, uh, be the mediator for the communities that I represent, as well as for the donors that are trying to approach communities and have questions that may not uh, naturally translate in their conversations. Uh, so. That's me in a nutshell. I, it's interesting because I came at this completely different from into fundraising by complete accident. I was working at United, no, working at UCSF actually, in the psychiatry department, and my boss was writing an eight million dollar grant, and he sat there and said, "Well, you write, write this for me," and threw all his research at me. It's like two hundred pages, and said, "We need eight million dollars," and so we got that grant, and <laughs> I was up late at night all the time, and. That's sort of how I came into the sort of fundraising aspect. And education has always been incredibly important to me. Um, growing up in Harlem, I got a scholarship to go to a private school in New York City. And from that moment on, it was like, well, I have to do something to make sure that other students have the same opportunities that I have. So that's how suddenly I moved from one educational nonprofit to the next educational nonprofit to the next educational nonprofit. Um, and just to ensure it's, it's interesting being African-American and usually the only African-American fundraiser ever, wherever I go. How that plays into what I do and why I keep doing it. I guess along with the background, going into sort of what our ideas of diversity are in organizations. And I come at it in, I come at it very differently being African-American and a male and gay. Of just sort of, um, I think of diversity going along lines of not just culture and race, but um, gender, sexual orientation, um, and how all of that plays within your organization. To not to just, you know, some people come at it like, we have to have a diverse organization. We have to be diverse. We have to, you know, we have to have all these different people. And some, of it come at, some people come at that as a way to get increased funding, some as a way this makes us look better. But I think of it as you have to be diverse in order to just continue your organization, not just around fundraising, but just as a continuation of your organization as it grows, affects so many different people and reaches out to so many different people. I, you know, I, like I said, I worked for the United Negro College Fund and I read an article yesterday that the black colleges that they serve are now reaching out to Latino students because if you're going to have, the schools work with, the, especially with historically black colleges, work with a very small amount of money and the students, and there are so many schools, you know, vying for that African-American population that the historical black colleges, unfortunately, are no longer 
the only place that you have to go. You know, back in the day, it, they were the only schools that black students could go to. And now that's changed. And so to keep the schools alive and to make sure that everyone's getting an education, you have to open up your doors. So therefore, not just your fundraising base has to be diverse, but your organization and your staff have to be diverse as well. They have to reflect the people that you serve and the people that you're talking to about donations and opening up that sort of donation base from being the typical old white gentleman or old white woman who has $2 billion in her bank account and wants to do something with it. So how we, I think, advance diversity in, I work at NIFTY, we have about 60 people um, organization-wide in the United States, and it's a lot of women, <laughs> as most nonprofits are, um, unfortunately. Uh, not unfortunately, but that most nonprofits, a lot of men tend to not go towards nonprofits because, of course, we tend to be socialized, many of us, to go towards the corporate world. I mean, all of my friends are looking at me like, I don't understand how you do that. You don't make any money. We're going here. I'm not going there. But I think just by my being in the organization is the first step towards adding diversity to that organization and opening up the doors that people can see, oh, okay, here's an African-American male in this organization. And the other people who work in, you know, luckily we have an organization, since we work in very metropolitan areas, that tends to be um, incredibly diverse. But I've worked for organizations where literally I was the only black person in the room in an organization of 200 people. And just my being there in the beginning is enough, I think, to sort of open the doors towards diversity. And then you start to bring your perspectives about diversity to the organization, and that's how it opens up. I, it's interesting, I think, I'll go on to how my background helps with this. If I go to a donor meeting, the first thing I do is tell them where I came from. <laughs> I grew up in Harlem. And the looks on the donor's face is like, oh, well, one, that's, you know, if for me, for where I came from when I grew up, that's a big step in and of itself. And I represent an organization that is creating opportunities for youth from low-income communities to advance themselves. So just from being on that end of the table, as they sit there and talk to me, it's like, ah, you know, you can see this look in their face that's like, oh, your program works. I wasn't in the program, but it worked. Like, okay, it becomes a thing of, oh, then my donations actually do work. Because here's someone, and I'm in my 30s, who actually has advanced because of not something I did, but something someone like me did. So they move on. And so I bring it that. Um, that's one of the things I do. I make sure to talk to them just about my background. Um, but also that my background, not just from race, but is from completely different aspects that I never expect. I went to Wesleyan University, and I've talked to donors that my son went to Wesleyan University. And that's a whole hour-long conversation about how, <laughs> how well they love Wesleyan, how much they love Wesleyan University. So there are all these different things that you can bring to it. It's not just about what you look like, but it's also about where you've been. Thanks, Gerald. Uh, as, far as, as far as my experience goes, um, I, uh, you know, I'm a Vietnamese-American immigrant. Uh, people would say 1.9 generation as opposed to 1.5. 
and uh, it, I was raised by a single parent. Um, I have six siblings. I'm the youngest child. All these different lenses, all these different ways of seeing me externally, I bring to the table when I work and communicate with my donors as well as with the general population. When people ask me, so why'd you get into fundraising? You could have done a lot of things. You could have worked in the for-profit sector or whatever. And for me, uh, after volunteering and uh, doing community service, I realized that when it comes down to it, there are so many beautiful, amazing, vibrant organizations in their in the community. There are just amazing mission-driven organizations that have amazing values and have fantastic benefits to the local community. Uh, the one major hurdle or challenge that these organizations have simply is there are no resources for them. And it's not because people aren't excited about what they do, because you wouldn't have an organization if people weren't passionate. It's actually because there's this disconnect between people wanting to ask for money to support the programs, and there's that disconnect between the donors, the people who have the money. Um, and, you know, my job, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm a, a messenger. I'm a steward of one person's philanthropy to another person's vision uh, in helping the local community. So that's how I came into fundraising. You cannot know enough about the nonprofit sector without knowing about how to create an organization, how to be mission-driven, and how to develop programs, as well as knowing the finances, how to set one up, as well as learning how to ask people for money. I'm going full circle at this point. I'm at that point of fundraising because I pretty much delved into everything else. And when people ask, when I was asked to join this particular panel, they asked me, so what does diversity mean to you? And I have to say, you know, in, in the way that people look at me um, from the outside looking in, there's also what I've experienced as a woman of color, what I've experienced as an immigrant, what I've experienced as someone who grew up in Southern California and now living in Northern California, and some of the, uh, some of the discrimination that exists from Northern Californians as far as me living coming from such a, a predominantly conservative community. That's those elements of, that make me different from any of you in this room also are opportunities for me to connect with you. Um, and I think that when you, you hear the word diversity, you think differences. But when I hear diversity, I think about opportunities to connect, opportunities for you to relate with one another. So for example, you know, I'll, I'll sit in a room and I'll be pitching to Merrill Lynch, or I'll be pitching to Cathay Pacific, and there's that turning point where they're going to either trust you or they're not. And the one thing that will always surprise me is what's that moment of connection between you and the person on the other side of the table? For me, with Merrill Lynch, it's the fact that we're both San Diego Chargers fans. And that has nothing to do with my identity politics. It has nothing to do with my socioeconomic status. But what it does is it immediately makes that connection with the person on the other side. And as Gerald said, Wellesley, that could be it too. Or like, you have a dog, I have a dog. That connection is what's going to keep you in the room for an extended period of time. And it's going to give you an opportunity for you to connect with the organization that you're trying to approach. So that's how I kind of look at what I do. Some people will also ask about strategies um, for me to retain staff, strategies for me to kind of 
be broad and reach out to a community that doesn't look like me or does look like me. I currently am the development officer at an organization. It's called the East Meets West Foundation. And we're a non-governmental organization that does development work in Vietnam. So just by me saying that, obviously it's people can say, oh, the natural connection is she's Vietnamese, organization's Vietnamese. So the people that I'm probably going to ask are Vietnamese Americans. That's what most people would pretty much say. And I would say that the majority of our donors are not Vietnamese Americans. The majority of our donors are actually veterans. The majority of our donors, the other majority, is actually individuals who've just recently visited or traveled to Vietnam and are so amazed by the opportunity that exists there to change people's lives that they make that connection. I would say a good number of folks are also interested in the work that I do are businesses who are looking at business opportunities in development in Vietnam, corporations that have investments in Vietnam. So there's that kind of natural inclination for folks to be like, oh, okay. So when I'm already in a room where I'm probably the only woman in the room, or I'm probably the only person under the age of 40 in the room, or I'm the only person who's a little bit more liberal or progressive than in the room, people ask me, how do I make that connection? And I just told you right now, you know, I, I talk to quite a few veterans, and I learn a lot about their experience in going to Vietnam. I talk to a lot of corporations who have business opportunities. Um, I talk to a lot of folks who have just traveled to Vietnam. So my connection, my commonality with them is that Vietnam experience. And I think that that's really important when you communicate to your donors and to your community that that, that is made um, from the get-go. Um, as far as how we reach out to a diversity of organizations, to me, philanthropy is not just about giving money. Um, it's about volunteering. It's about giving gift in kind. It's about donating your service, your passion, to what you do. And so because of that, uh, the varying ways that you can find communities, attract different communities, is you have special events, point of entry events. You have events that have varying degrees. I have a banquet that's on average $200 to get into, but I also have a sc movie screening that's going to charge only $15. We're trying to approach a, a diverse population of, of people to support our events. Uh, we also have, as far as staff engagement, you know, our staff reflects the diversity that's the Bay Area. You know, currently our executive director is Italian-American. He's not Vietnamese-American. He's not a veteran, um, but he has a background in international development. Uh, we have staff members who are Chinese-American, Vietnamese-American. We have one who's uh, from Russia. Uh, we have both immigrants and native Californians. Uh, so that gives us all, as I said before, opportunities to find connections with a wide variety of people. And I think that that is the best way for you to get the word out about the organization that you represent. I'm going to jump in here and um, we'll go to the next one about making the genuine connection. It, you, you realize that, um, and this is a fundraiser told me this when I started, he said, you know, just listen. That people will tell you what they want and how they want their, what they want their dollars to do, but also how they want to be involved. You know, I've been in rooms with other fundraisers and, and on meetings with people I've worked with who will just talk and talk because we have a tendency to want to get our mission out and tell them about all the great things we do. 
without actually listening to the donor tell you, you know, well, this is what I'm interested in, and this is how I would like to be of help to you. And it might not be monetary. It might not. It might be volunteer. It might be let me connect you to five different people who can help you in this way. And I think we have a tendency to to forget that we should listen. But also, when I think of listening, I also think of listening to the people that are part of your staff who have connections to their communities as diverse as they are, where they live, where their children go to school, and who they're connected to, that they relay information to you as well. We have a tendency, you know, you, in organizations where your bosses will not listen to what you have to say, you'll say, oh, you know, I think we should go towards this church. Or maybe we should have a booth at this organization or have a booth at this event. And your boss will go, you know, that's not the best thing we can do right now. That's not going to get us out there. Um, we were just, my coworker and I were just talking. We had an ex exhibition booth here. And we we're both sitting there going, you know, if we had never done this, like we had one of our bosses back in New York telling us, that's probably a waste of your time. But we thought, you know, we're here, we're in California, we'll do it. And sat there and we're realizing we just met like 20 people who could help us, if not, and it's not about money. It's about actually getting our program out to the students that we need to serve. That's the connection, and that's how you listen. And you listen to your staff, you listen to yourself. And making a connection with a donor who, I think this is one of the questions, was how do you make a connection with a donor that's not representative? Beyond listening, the connection, as we've been saying, is, is not just about what you look like. It goes much deeper than that. It goes towards common interests and common goals towards advancing, I think, rights and human rights and just people in general. We work right now, we're working with Citigroup or trying to work with Citigroup Foundation to do this massive, huge campaign across all of California. Now, there are only two of us on staff in San Francisco. And where they want to go and where we want to go is actually the same, the same. We're going the same way. But the thing that's interesting them is I'm sitting there listening to her on the phone. I'm thinking, this is not, we're not, it's not working. I know it's not working. And suddenly she says, yeah, we really just want to have volunteers in the schools. I can do that. You know, I have 20 schools that I can actually put volunteer, you know, that you can put volunteers in. If that's what's going to make that connection for you, more than you giving us however much money you're going to give us. But if it's about you wanting your staff to get into communities that aren't representative of them, I have to listen to you and have you help you to make that connection. So we're, I wanted to kind of give you guys some examples of of how I have dealt with both individual donors um, as well as organizations and then also kind of to, to speak a little bit about within my own organization how we we think about staff retention and I can give you I can give you answers that are totally like very across the board and I'll give you answers that are very specific to diversity and promoting that so when it comes to individual donors um, as I said before We've been extremely successful in bringing in individuals who are veterans of the Vietnam War, as well as bringing on individuals who have recently uh, traveled to Vietnam, come back, and are very interested about what they can do. Uh, and then, but we've been a little bit less successful um, in bringing on individuals, Vietnamese Americans, that um, represent the the community that we serve, Vietnamese. And for, for that element of it, um, I've always asked myself, what am I not doing right? Um, my information, the information that we send out to um, our Vietnamese donors 
It's in Vietnamese. It's, um, we advertise and promote into local newspapers, Vietnamese language newspapers. We have regular meetings. We're part of a network. Um, and I would say one of the challenges in doing that is that ultimately if your organization isn't founded or led by someone who represents, who looks like you, there are going to be some challenges in that. However, I think that there's always opportunities for change. As people, as Vietnamese Americans, you know, live in the Bay Area longer, we won't have to kind of desegregate our donor population. We're going to, we're going to be able to kind of reach out to different communities. When I'm connecting with someone who doesn't look like me or doesn't have a common experience um, of, as an immigrant, I'm surprised by their passion in wanting to support the organization. And there isn't, a, there isn't any kind of equation that I can give you that says, oh, this is what, this is what works and what wasn't. But I'll, I'll, make, I'll give you one example. One of our major donors actually went to Vietnam. He did not even want to go to Vietnam. It was just this random travel. They wanted to go to China. It didn't work out. He couldn't get the visa, so he got a visa in Vietnam, and he went there. When he got there, he came to the realization that he actually saw kids on the street not going to school. I'm thinking that happens here in the U.S. too. But anyways, he comes to this conclusion that these kids are not going to school and that there's this possibly this entire community or generation of kids in Vietnam who will never have the opportunity to excel, let alone help their local communities. He comes back and he go, he's a man on a mission. He comes back and starts calling every single organization that, he, that even has the word Vietnam in its mission. And lo and behold, one day I'm in the office and somebody answers the phone and they just gave it to me because they're like, oh, Didi, you know the answer to everything. Um, so they just gave it to me. I'm like, hi there, how are you? Da -da. And he, this man is just ranting about what he experienced and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, I have no idea where this, or, this conversation is going to go. Nothing at all. But then I find out, like, 20 minutes into the conversation, he's like, oh, but I want to do something. I'm like, okay, we're getting to the point. I want to do something. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, what are you interested in doing? He's like, I want to provide some kind of scholarship for, like, 100 kids. And I'm like, okay, no biggie. So we continue the conversation, and he starts talking about, oh, he's based in New York. He has access to a lot of individuals that, that he, you know, would be very interested in this program. About a month later after conversations with someone who just picked up the phone, found our, found our organization on the website, he basically made a six-figure donation to the organization. The thing is, you, you never know who you're talking to that can make things happen. And as a result of that, he's introduced us to about 20, or, 20 donors who have also made six-figure donations. These things happen. They are not urban legend. They really do happen. <laughs> Uh, and I've been fortunate enough to where it actually happened to me. Uh, on the flip side, as far as organizations, how do you promote, you know, the thing is, in fundraising, you're going to get high turnover. In the nonprofit sector, you're going to get high turnover. We have to come to that realization that it happens. Uh, what can we do to foster um, professional development? Uh, what I always tell folks is that you should always find a mentor, and it should never be your boss. I, I cannot stress that enough. Your mentor should never be your boss. But what you can do is make connections with people that look like you. For example, AFPGJC, we have a multicultural alliance 
that actually brings together a group of individuals from very diverse backgrounds, age, race, sexuality, um, experience, uh, abilities, and they come together on a monthly basis to discuss specific issues around special events, uh, annual campaigns, year-end appeals, and they actually share their work with 15 other judges. And you come, uh, AFP is the Association of Fundraising Professionals. Golden Gate Chapter has a multicultural alliance. The website is www.afp-ggc.org. Um, there is also an organization that I'm a member of and I'm a steering committee chair of. It's the Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in Philanthropy. So now we're connected with individuals who are program officers in philanthropy. They represent foundations. These are all affinity groups, and there are other affinity group, uh, groups like Hispanics in philanthropy, Bay Area Blacks in philanthropy, funders um, concerned about AIDS. Uh, there are so many different organizations out there that are professional organizations that can really, once you tap into it, it's hard not to feel enthusiastic about what you do. The so. um, same, it's funny because I've, I've just moved back to the Bay Area, so I'm sort of now getting keyed in, thinking along the lines of um, in Chicago with the United Negro College Fund. It's a fundraising organization, so you're sitting there in a room full of 200 fundraisers, all of whom are African American, working towards the same goal. I think we have tendency to think that there aren't a lot, when you don't see a lot of people, that there aren't a lot of you out there, but there are. And that, I think that was one of the things for me, was like, oh, okay, there are other people who do this as well. That's great. And I come here, and now I'm just now tapping in to the different communities that I, I belong to. So that's always, the, I think, the interesting part of it. Um, so we should probably get to the second part. We're going to go to the second part, and it's sort of a question. We thought of a question and answer session where we talk to you, ask you pretty much sort of what your organization, give us a little background about you, what your organization is, and then sort of beyond answering these questions, trying to find out what you think, how you would like to advance diversity in your organization, what that means, what diversity means to you, and the best way that you can use, how we can, I guess, give you advice about what to do and how the audience, people in the audience give you advice. Everyone has their experiences about what they've done and what they need in their organizations and it's sort of better if you all hear it from each other rather than just talking heads telling you this is how you make your organization diverse. So um, basically we see everyone in this room as an expert. You guys could have just come up here and talked about your experiences in fundraising just as much as we could have been an audience member. So what we'd like to do is kind of open it up. If you could kind of Introduce yourself by saying your name and the organization that you represent, because we also want to foster networking, because networking is key to you staying in the realm of fundraising for an extended period of time, as well as seeking opportunities of collaboration and partnership with each other. So if we can go around the, the room and just kind of introduce yourselves and the organization that you represent, and then we can go into the actual exercise that we're going to go through. I'm not here as part of the uh, organization, but I'm part of one nonprofit organization. It's volunteer-based. It's called Zumbula, and it's uh, Arab Feminists for Change. And we just started. We had our first event, and it is sluggish. 
I mean, the whole thing, because it's volunteer-based and all that stuff, it's, it's not that easy. I mean, it's really rocky, totally rocky. What we did with the first event, we applied for grants. We got, actually, we applied for two. We got both of them. We did fundraiser from individuals, I mean, in the community. And we did the event, we did like a big event that is based on donation, and people also donated some money. That's how we... I'm sorry, for us to go through the entire audience, if we can just have very quick, kind of like who you are, and then the organization that you represent, um, and then we'll go into deeper conversation after that. My name is Tamaya Garcia. I work with the Center for Young Women's Development. I'm the development director. Kathy Kahn, I'm on the board of the Community Alliance for Learning, which runs a program that brings community volunteers into public school English classes to work one-on-one -on -one with kids in writing. I'm Ali Chagi-Starr with the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights and also co-founder of Art in Action Youth Leadership Program. My name is Erica Jackson. I'm with the Asian Community Mental Health Services. We provide uh, counseling to um, Asian immigrants in 13 different languages. I'm Maggie Kusha. I'm with CASA of Kern County Court Appointed Special Advocates, where we get um, um, an adult in the life of a child who's in foster care. P.A. Cooley, and I'm an associate artist with Theater Rhinoceros and Fundraiser. Hi, I'm Nancy Yu. Um, I founded a school in Seoul, Korea to send gifted students to Stanford University. My name is Sai Kumar. I have a background of, uh, I'm a retired doctor from India. We are thinking of uh, starting an organization to help the old diabetics in the Bay Area, especially around Fremont. Thank you. My name is Denise. I'm with the Institute for Domestic International Affairs, which focuses on um, civic participation for youth um, and is trying to branch out a little bit more internationally. And also the New Leaders Council, which is basically fostering um, training for young progressives to enter politics. My name is Lilas Blake, and I am a founder of an organization yet to be developed around providing health care services for transsexuals. I'm Peggy Werner. Uh, professionally, I do soul communication. I'm on the board of the Animal Beacons of Light. We, put, we take stuffed animals, fill them with love and light, and send them to children of all ages around the world. My name is Lois Hampton, and I am with an organization in Oakland and Alameda, California. It's called Kids on the Move America. And it's dealing with ages 6 to 13, children that are troubled kids, and we are just directing them in the correct direction, low income. Hi, my name is Darren. I'm on the board of directors of New Creation Home in East Palo Alto. We uh, help new, uh, teen moms. We offer housing, and we also have parenting classes and life skill classes. My name is Deidre Crawford, and I'm a development assistant for KQED. Hi, I'm uh, Jerry Beckerman, and uh, our organization is the Segway Career Guidance Program, and we help high school students find their path and become motivated into a productive path versus an underproductive path uh, by bringing in the community to share about their career paths into the high schools. Hello, my name is Amir Suresh Shaderi, and I'm here with a Brightline Defense Project, and we are a civil rights legal clinic. Uh, Joshua Arce, I'm with the same organization, Brightline Defense Project. 
My name is Aaron Lamer. I'm a coordinator with a group called Bay Area Relocalize. How do we bring the production of food and energy and, and water closer to our communities? I'm Sasha Terrace, and I work for Yerba Buena Center for the Arts in San Francisco. Uh, my name is Joseph, and I'm with Fusion, and it's a youth outreach and a leadership development group. My name is John Lau, and I'm working to turn the Great Star Theater in Chinatown into an active performance and uh, film and video space. My name is Jenna. I'm a lay healthcare worker at the Berkeley Free Clinic. Uh, we're a volunteer-only collective. A lot of this stuff is kind of frustrating for us since we don't really have full-time employees. My name is Amy Butcher. I'm on the board of the Women's Building in San Francisco. Hi, my name is Mike, and I'm representing um, an organization called... Um, Canal Alliance in Marin County, and we um, build leadership and self-sufficiency in a low-income community of immigrants. My name is George Saxton. I'm on the board of directors of uh, Northern California Sister Cities International, headquartered out of Washington, D.C. I'm also the executive director of the San Francisco Ho Chi Minh Sister City Committee, which is connected with Vietnam. I'm Carla Schroer, and I'm a founder and currently the executive director of Cultural Heritage Imaging. And uh, we bring high-end imaging technology to cultural heritage professionals to help them document their collections and sites to make them available to everybody around the world. Hi, my name's Helen DeGeeve. I'm with the Neighborhood Parks Council, and we do stewardship programs in neighborhood parks and ag advocate for improved park system in San Francisco. Yeah, I'm Jasmine Chen, and I'm from China. I'm now interning in Berkeley Alliance. Right now, uh, our organization is focusing on school mental health. Hi, I'm Patricia Wakita. I'm with Heyday Books and Heyday Institute. We publish books on California culture and excuse me, history. I'm also representing the board of the San Francisco Center for the Books. I'm Mike Snyder, and I'm co-founder of a new organization called the International Foundation for Entrepreneurship, Science, and Technology. And we're trying to figure out ways how we can engage more young people from high school age on up uh, in opportunities to connect to the globalizing marketplace. Hi, I'm Rachel Lee Holstein. I'm the grant writer for the Alameda County Community Food Bank, and I'm also a volunteer for Presida Eyes Mural Project and the Mission in San Francisco. Hi, I'm Ken Craig. I'm the um, director of Triangle Martial Arts Association. We teach martial arts, self-defense, and, and demonstrations for primarily the gay and lesbian community to start with, but now we're getting into the disabled, the elderly, and the low income. Thanks. Uh, my name is Ashley Haugen, and I work for El, El Centro de la Raza in Seattle, a human services organization, and I'm currently trying to start a mental health services organization. Hello, my name is Keith Hager, and I work on the development staff of Teen Challenge of Norwest Cal, Nevada. We are a residential recovery program for men, women, children, and families. Hi, my name is Ann Romero, and I'm on the planning committee for CYLP, which stands for Chicano Latino Youth Leadership Project. We identify first-generation college-bound students, particularly we emphasize low income, to try to find those students that fall through the cracks through the educational system, identify them, empower them, and then give them mentors. So it's a, it's a summer project. Hi, my name is Linda Frank, and I'm brand new on the scene. I'm the co-founder or founder of PD Action Plus, which is a um, activities for children newborn to seven years of age. 
My name is Honey Roberts, and I work for the California Parenting Institute. Um, we work to prevent and treat child abuse and neglect in Sonoma County. Hi, my name is Leanne, and I work with a uh, charity cultural service center in San Francisco. And we after school tutor for low income families, and we do uh, recycling and composting programs for our neighborhood. Thanks. I'm Clay Cougar. I'm primarily here to support my wife and her efforts and endeavors. I'm Ming Liu, and I'm, I'm not with any organization or just um, looking to working for a start uh, nonprofit organization of interest. Um, I'm Elisa, and I'm with Childhood Matters, Inc., and we produce two live call-in parenting education and childhood development radio shows, one in English and one in Spanish. The one in English is Childhood Matters, and the one in Spanish is Nuestros Niños. Um, and we broadcast um, Childhood Matters on KISS FM 98.1, you may have heard us, um, and Nuestros Niños uh, now on La Calle 105.7, uh, 100.7 FM, and we're heard from Mendocino all the way down to Monterey. And last but not least, if I could have a little drum roll. My name is Shannon Braxton, I'm from Youth Radio. Anyone heard of Youth Radio? Um, so pretty much all the voices, the youth voices that you hear on NPR throughout the country come from Youth Radio right here in Berkeley. But we still need money. Thank you very much. I, I think it's just the diversity of organizations in the room. I don't think there was a repeat of something. Everyone does something different. And I think that's the best start is that we all, you know, as we network, trying to find commonality and how our organizations can work together. You're, you're talking about entrepreneurship, and I'm like, oh, wait, I work for an organization that promotes entrepreneurship with this to start. So to, I think to get into um, diversity in your organizations, to promote it, I we'll just, just go with the questions that we were working with about different ways to um, how to talk to diverse communities, how to talk to communities maybe that don't look like you. And so if anyone has any suggestions, because I know there are a couple of organizations here where I know you don't look like the person, people that you help. Um, um, so if anyone wants to volunteer. Talk about how you, what strategies you use to go into the community of communities that, you, like, as you were saying, of donors that don't look like you. How do you talk to them? How do you work with them? Never assume. Never assume. What you look, just never assume. I, it's, it has to be said over and over again. I have to retrain myself over and over again. The food bank has a committed foundation funder. Year after year, they give funds. They told us they will continue to, year after year. They, we are not, food banks and food and human services are not in the foundation's giving guidelines. However, the executive director and one of the founders of the foundation, though you would never know it to look at him, suffered hunger as a young orphaned immigrant in this country. He suffered hunger. He will never stop giving to the food bank because of that. If you looked at this man, the outfit, the presentation and everything, you would never assume that this person had suffered hunger. He has. Never assume. I grew up in New Orleans, and the accent comes out. Occasionally, I mention to folks that I'm from the South, and they go where, and we talk about it. And prior to this past year, everybody had great stories about New Orleans. They wanted to go there, whatever. But somebody, everybody always knows somebody from the South or has something about the South that they like. So I've used that as an introduction. I found in the past year, mentioning to folks that I'm from New Orleans generally takes the conversation to a place that really makes folks sad 
And so I tend to just say I'm from the South rather than New Orleans because it's tricky. I want to make sure that folks are communicating with me in a way that they feel uplifted. And I can tell the room's already turned to concrete already just by mentioning New Orleans. So use some, I use a part of me that I think a lot of people have a connection to or positive thoughts about. Um, I want to thank the facilitators. And I think one of the things that I'm learning as a white ally and someone who's worked in racial justice organizations for a long time with our program Art in Action, I'm, I have to be constantly up on what's going on with our, we work with homeless youth in the summer um, through a program called Art in Action. And so I have to learn about hyphy movement. I have to um, really meet the youth with the culture that's meaningful to them. So we're actually always, our, the, our facilitators are a diverse team of about nine or ten of us from different art movements. And we're just constantly being evolved ourselves by what our youth are teaching us about what's happening in music and in the arts in their neighborhoods. Reverse experience where I am mostly dealing with donors who are older and white. People who are interested in California history in general tend to be people who have lived the history and so they think that this is important at this time. It's been an issue for me in the past because I am younger and I am a woman and I am Asian and I think that they've had a hard time with me, which is one of the reasons why I go by Patricia instead of Patty now. And I think it's just been an interesting challenge to try to diversify my donors by help having a way, having communication streams out there for people to understand that this is a story that we want to be pulling from their own communities to help communities understand the story of California, why it's worth preserving. So actually I don't have a solution, I'm just putting out a challenge, which is I'm going the opposite direction of trying to work with mostly white donors. If you know anybody's had experience with working within your own communities, communities of color, you yeah. know, getting them to for, for me, um, there, there, are two, there are two points to that that I think I've kind of experienced on my own. For one thing is that many immigrant communities do give a higher percentage of their income compared to more mainstream populations in the United States. The only thing is they give traditionally to their churches, their synagogues, etc. So now we're kind of educating our communities in the, in the areas that it's a new philanthropy. It's traditional philanthropy as defined by Western institutions. But there is, there is a culture of giving in all of our communities that I think we should really um, promote. Uh, I think that, you know, for example, Latino communities give hundreds of millions of dollars back to um, Mexico through remittances. Vietnamese, overseas Vietnamese give something like $4 billion to Vietnam annually. That is a lot of power. That is a lot of influence. And I think that there is a culture of giving, and I think, but we have to also think that we're dealing with communities, some are working class, so you can't ask a six figure, you know, you can't ask them to give six figures, but what you can do is, you know, I know so many mo working mothers who volunteered so much of their time when it came to uh, labor rights and union organizing uh, in, in Los Angeles. I know so many kids who knocked on doors and sold candy bars um, you know, to, to raise money for their, their baseball teams. There, we have to reach out. What it means is 
there's a lot more work to be done because you're dealing with smaller dollar figures. But again, as these communities develop over time, and this is something that we all need to think about as far as investment in our communities, as they develop in time, they're also going to develop into what we consider probably major donors. What I wanted to do was kind of wrap up, and, and again, Gerald and I are available after the panel to kind of answer some specific questions. But uh, as you can see, I've been kind of writing down some issues and some ideas that I think have resonated in our conversation today. Um, you know, our intent really wasn't to kind of make us as experts in diversity and fundraising. Our intent was to really have you all answer the question yourselves by connecting with one another. I mean, you know, we walk into the we walked into today's panel with the assumption that, you know, we had all these differences. How do we connect with donors that are different from us? How do how do I work with an Asian American population when I'm not Asian American? How do I do this and this? When in fact this particular room itself represented all these different um, backgrounds. Let me kind of scroll up. So we had organizations just in this room that were involved in youth development, arts, personal safety. We had volunteer organizations. We had women's organizations involved in women's rights, public education, human rights, health services, foster care, drama and theater, cultural exchange and sister cities, leadership development, politics, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, transsexual services, public radio and media, career guidance, professional development, legal services, civil rights, environmental justice, community centers, information technology, cultural her heritage, neighborhood parks and recreation, California culture and history, globalization and the marketplace, food bank, physical fitness and health, recovery services, immigrant leadership development, services for a diversity of incomes, prevention of child abuse, after school programs, recycling, public broadcasts, parenting classes, youth radio voices, and others. Those are the commonalities that we can find in how we connect with our donors. I, I'm going to kind of wrap it up also with, with the idea that we should never assume that the person on the other side is different from us. You should always make that connection um, with someone, be it through the schools that you go to, be it the movie that you saw last week, be it uh, a commonality of experience. Uh, what I've experienced from raising fun, from fundraising is simply the fact that when you have someone in the room and you're going to ask them for money, like a major donor ask, or you're going to do a pitch, they already know that you're going to ask them for money. So the question is, how do you develop that trust so that you'll know pretty soon whether it's going to be a request for $5,000, $10,000, or $100,000, or a million dollars? Fundraising is all about relationships. If you cannot make that connection with someone, it'll probably be a one-time gift if you get that. Um, but if you can make that relation, if you can develop that relationship um, and foster it in all the work that you do, then it's really quite simple to um, make those connections with other donors. I think Gerald mentioned also, listen to what they have to say. If he, they're telling you that they're only interested in youth development, then don't pitch them on something that's about, no offense to anyone here, don't pitch them about recycling unless it's related to youth development and make it that way. But you know, do not try to steer them away from what their interests are because that's really not going to be very helpful for them. And I think that you know, as, as, as we kind of 
develop our organizations in fundraising. You know, I used to be a program person. I was in program development, and I used to grant out to a lot of different social justice organizations. And people always ask me, how could you go from programs to fundraising? And I said, when I was in programs, I would talk to everybody under the sun. Everywhere I'd go, I'd talk about all these amazing programs that impact all these really diverse communities. And my whole thing was I was trying to influence you or get you to believe in what I do. The only difference between then and now is that what I ask of you is when you believe in what I do, I ask you to make a simple dollar donation in support of that. And it could be, and it starts with five, ten, fifteen dollars. It starts with a cocktail and happy hour, and then it becomes something even more fruitful. And I do stay in touch with a lot of my donors. I actually call them and I probably ask them for money maybe about 10% of the time that I see them. And they actually believe, they, they begin to trust me that it, they're more than just a bank. Yeah. It's more than just asking for money. It's about, you know, I send cards to my donors. I call them up. I, I invite them to meet the students. And they never, I never ask them for money. I said, well, come to this competition or come to this class and sit in this class. And we'll sit and we'll have lunch. I said, okay, bye. And I've had actually a donor go, you, you, didn't, ask you didn't ask me for money, <laughs> and then gave me money. Because he, was like, he loved what he was doing, so how much do you need? And I told him, and he wrote a check. Like I said before, you know, the donors don't want to just give money. They want to be involved. You know, anyone, can give, you know, anyone can give money. Very few people want to give time and effort. And time and effort lead to more money. Um, I want to thank you for all coming. We hope you enjoy this free podcast from the nonprofit boot camp series. Craigslist Foundation produces events and online tools that provide knowledge, resources, and visibility to the next generation of nonprofit leaders. To learn more about Craigslist Foundation or the Nonprofit Boot Camp Conferences, visit www.craigslistfoundation.org. This series is funded by the Community Technology Foundation of California, which helps underserved communities secure social justice, access, and equality through the application of information and communications technologies. Registered members of the Conversations Network receive a wide variety of benefits. For free membership or to help support our efforts through your donations, visit conversationsnetwork.org. The post-production audio engineer for this program was Jeremy Glenn. Our website editor was Liz Evans. The series producer is Liz Evans. My name is Eric Nee, and I hope you will join me next time for another program from the Nonprofit Boot Camp Series. The preceding program was brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U and is copyrighted by the Board of Trustees of the Leland Stanford Junior University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu.